I don't know if any of you have read Shakespeare's play, Hamlet. One phrase that I'm pretty certain you're going to recognize is to be or not to be. Now, you may not even know the context of it. Most people know that. In fact, it's been used so many different ways people forget. It's a soliloquy, which is where he is talking to himself, but in a play, he's talking to himself so that everyone in the audience knows what he's thinking, okay? And he is saying, the world is hard, things are hard, do I want to be, or would it be better not to be? And all of a sudden you realize, this is a pretty serious conversation he's having with himself and letting the the, uh, the audience know what he's thinking. He's trying to decide what's the better, is it better to stay here or is it better not to stay here? And he's really addressing a question that often we struggle with because things get so hard, we say, is it worth it? Now in our, in our text today, as we read it again, I want you to look for the bees and not to be. Hamlet says to be or not to be. Paul is saying to be and not to be. So look for that as we read together. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness and covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know that no whoremonger nor unclean person nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. Undeserved forgiveness is the greatest demonstration of love. Let me say that again. Undeserved forgiveness is the greatest demonstration of love. True love is not a pleasant emotion or good feeling about someone, but the giving of oneself for another's welfare. Now, I, we start with the definition of love because we're going to be talking about liberating love this, uh, this afternoon. Liberating love. And I want, to, I want us to think about that for a moment because everything we see coming from the world defines love differently, and because of the way they define love, it ends up being oppressive, it ends up being damaging. And the sad part is we as Christians often take that into our homes, into our families, into our relationships, and because of that, we're very discouraged. And you could very easily end up with a Hamlet situation where you're saying to be or not to be. That is really the question. And Paul says, to be and not to be, that's the answer. So let's look at this together. 
We're going to look at, first of all, he's going to tell you, be ye something. And then we're going to look at the fact of him saying, be not. And then he's going to draw some conclusions. Now, this afternoon, we're going to just look at the first part of this. So this is part one of liberating love. He says, be ye. And notice what he says. He says, be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. And I want to begin with, first of all, a captivation with the Father. Captivation is something which attracts and holds our attention. He says, be followers of God. Literally, the word followers there doesn't just mean to walk behind someone, but it gives us the idea of being an imitator. So when he says, be therefore imitators of God, it, it would be walking behind where God would be and seeing exactly what he is talking about. He says, be an imitator, be a copier of your father. And there's the illustration that we think of very quickly. He gives the idea of as dear children. He's talking about a family relationship and the illustration of children imitating the traits of their father. Now remember, who used to be our father, who used to be our master, and how we imitated him, and how the world imitates their father. Now he says, imitate your heavenly father. Children often, especially as they get older, sound like, express themselves like, give facial responses like, and they have a temperament like their father. It was fun first time I met Nathan because it's not hard to tell whose son he is. Um, when they're little, they're still maturing, but as they get older, we see it is just a natural thing when I met the twins. It's not hard to tell their Strausses. Now, as a little child, a lot of times you'll notice they're just right behind you. They're following what you're doing. And thinking of the snow, when our children were smaller, and I would go out in the snow, and the kids would walk wherever I would walk, and you'd see them trying to step in my footsteps. But as they get older, they, they tend to, because of the time they've spent with you, they just begin to pick up the characteristics. And things that I don't even see, a lot of times someone will say, oh yeah, that's your son. Oh, I can hear it in their voice. I can hear it in their mannerisms. I can hear it in the things they say. And all of a sudden I realize, I didn't realize I said that until I hear them say it. And then I realize, oh, that's me. Now, it's not that I make my children. It's not that you make your children do what they do. It's just the amount of time they spend with you. That's what he's talking about here. He says, be ye, therefore, imitators, followers of God as dear children, as children that love their father, as children that are, that are welcome. They're not, they're not bothers, nor do they hate their parents. He says, 
love them, imitate your father. And the command, notice in verse two is, and walk in love. Now, so far he's been giving us different walks that we should have. You remember in chapter four, verse one, look at that, he says, I beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. The walk has the idea of walking around. It's your daily lifestyle. He says, walk the way you normally do things. Walk in such a way that it's worthy, a way that represents your new family. Now, why would you do that? Because you're in a new family. You don't have to walk in the old way anymore. Then in verse 17, we saw, he said, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles in the vanity of their minds. Verse 22, he said, you put off concerning the former conversation of the old man, the former lifestyle, the former walk of the old man. He says, and walk the new man which is created in righteousness and true holiness. We often think we're stuck. I've always been this way. I've always talked this way. I've always thought this way. I've got to stay this way. You can't teach an old dog. But the reality is, in Christ, you've now been created differently. And Paul, now, as he's given us chapters one through three, and he reminds us of all these things God's done for us, what is our Heavenly Father like? Well, our Heavenly Father is one who gave us all spiritual blessings. He chose us that we could be holy and that we could be blameless. In love, he predestinated us to be mature, that we wouldn't just be stuck the way we were. He told us what the future is going to be like. He redeemed us at his own cost. He gave us the Holy Spirit to live within us. And he sealed the Holy Spirit in us. And when we were dead, he made us alive and made us alive unto, according to chapter 2, good works. And he broke down all the partitions so that all of the phobias, all of the fears, all of the prejudices, all of the things that divide us among all peoples, he's broken all that down and we can all be one. And because of all that, he says now, because of what God's done, he said, you can walk differently. I want you to walk the way your new family is. And you have, oh yeah, I don't have to do this anymore. I don't have to follow the old master anymore. I don't have to do things the way he says anymore. Our tendency is every day to walk back into the same old jail again. It's, it's, the, it's almost Otis with Andy Griffith. He goes in, he finds his own cell, he closes the door, he hangs the key up, and he gets in bed. And we laugh at that, because the key's right there, he can go out anytime he wants, but the reality is, don't we do that in our own sinful lifestyles? Don't we get up in the mornings and don't we think, oh yeah, I gotta go back into jail, slam the door behind us, 
We still live, we still act as if we have to be imprisoned by Satan, but the reality is Paul's saying, oh no, you don't have to walk that way anymore. In fact, he reminds them, don't walk the way you used to walk, the way the Gentiles walk. Now, he tells us in chapter 5, he says, walk in love. What does that mean, to walk in love? Live your daily life. I should live my daily life characterized by love. As you live characterized by love, you will fulfill Romans chapter 13. If you would, keep your finger in this section where we can come back to Ephesians, but let's look over to Romans chapter 13, and I want you to notice a text that is designed not to talk about whether or not you should borrow money or not. That is not the, that is not the focus of this text. Notice Romans chapter 13, beginning at verse 8. Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. When we love, we complete the law. You say, how can that be? All those, all those rules, all those different things, because of what love is. Verse 9, for this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. If there be any commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. You see, love... He begins defining love for us. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Let's go back now to Ephesians chapter 5, and you begin realizing biblical love is the opposite of the flesh. And so it's a reminder for us again of a new life that we have in Christ. Biblical love is the opposite of the flesh because, what did we learn? God is love. God, look at verse 32. God is characterized by kindness, doing, what, doing for someone what that person doesn't deserve, by tenderheartedness, feeling for them what they do not deserve to have someone say, boy, I can understand and compassion or forgiveness, using resources for the person that does not deserve to have those things. That is love. It sounds overwhelming at first, but Romans chapter 8, verse 29 tells us that it was always God's intent that we should be changed into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. What is God's desire for us? He, Peter tells us he wants us to be holy. And interestingly enough, he tells us in Romans 5, 5, it's possible to be holy. Listen to this. And hope maketh not ashamed... Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. What does that verse tell us? God's love 
has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit. So today, you say, I couldn't ever demonstrate the love of God. God says you can because he put it in your heart. He poured it out in your heart. So, how do we become followers of God as dear children and walk in love? The more time we spend with the Father and learn about our Savior, the more we will look and sound like them. Eh? You see, the more we're around something, the more we talk like them. Now, to me, it's always humorous when I'm talking with someone and they say, where'd you move from? And I say, from Charleston, South Carolina. And they say, oh, I could hear it in your accent. And I'm thinking, I grew up in the Midwest. I spent the next 13 years after my formative years and after my college years, I spent those in Iowa, whatever accent Iowans have. And I move up here. And now I've got a South Carolinian accent. Y'all don't know what you're talking about. Bless your heart. The reality is, who we spend time with, we do begin to sound like. And if you want to begin to sound like God, if you want to begin to imitate him, if you want to follow him, what do you need to do? Spend time with him. It's not a matter of trying to make yourself be something. I, I've just got to be a good Christian. I just have to work this. And we're trying so hard to be something that God's already said we can be. We just need to spend time with him. What's the greatest evidence of love? It's undeserved forgiveness. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Why did he give his only begotten son? So that we might have forgiveness. So that we might be reconciled. Love is such an amazing thing but not the kind of love that the world's talking about where it is an attraction to a physical form or a lust. But love is not what I can get. Love is when I give. We had nothing to offer God, did we? Yet, God gave. And that's how we know what love is. Here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and gave his son to be the substitute for us. As beloved children, we should walk like our father. Love brings forgiveness to the worst of the worst. Because forgiveness is the evidence of God's love, so is forgiveness evidence of our love. 
And now we've come back to where we ended last week. You see, when we love God, when we are imitators of God, we are free to forgive. And it's liberating. Because no longer do you have to hold that person accountable and that person accountable and that person accountable for what they have done to you. In fact, if you look at chapter 4, verse 31, what would you say a lack of forgiveness demonstrates? If forgiveness demonstrates kindness and tenderheartedness, what does a lack of forgiveness demonstrate? A hard heart. You see, we forgive our hurts because our Father forgives. And what He does is always the best route to go. I'm now in a new era in my life. I can't call my dad and I can't call my grandpa any longer to say, what do you think? I loved that. I loved being able to say, dad, what do you think? Because I could trust my dad. Now I'm grateful I still have my brother. And I can call my brother and we talk and we tell each other what's going on and we give each other, all right, here's what I think. But when our Heavenly Father does something, that tells us the best way to do that. How did God do this? Um, In His Steps was written by a guy named Sheldon. He was a pastor. And he, it started out where he would just talk to his congregation a little bit about it, and this was back in the turn of the century. And he ended up doing a series on it in the church in the evenings. I don't believe they had normally an evening service. And so he began just doing it in the evenings, and he ended up writing the book in his steps. And the idea was, now what was a common, what would Jesus do? But that's kind of been turned into something flippant. In reality, how often do we really look at the scriptures and just say, how did God handle this? When God was mistreated, when God was ill-spoken of, when God was misunderstood, how did God respond? God demonstrated his love for us. God commendeth. God showcased his love for us in that while we were yet sinning against him, Christ died for us. Do you see how all of a sudden, as I was studying this, all of a sudden it's like all these different scriptures that we know began connecting as I began realizing, he says, He's been saying, put off the old man, put on the new man, and walk as imitators of your heavenly Father. I'm free. I don't have to do those things. All those things that it just seems right, that person should pay. But I'm the one who's in bondage. 
The love we give demonstrates the love we realize we have received. In Luke chapter 7, I was listening to this this week, and in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 47, if you'd like to go back and read it at some point, Simon the Pharisee invites Jesus into his house. And if you remember, there was a lady that was there who, from the time Jesus walked in, she was constantly just trying to wash his feet and was using her hair to, to, to clean his feet from the, the journey of the day. And it was all because she so loved Jesus because Jesus had forgiven her of all those bad things she had done. Knowing that, Simon didn't do anything for Jesus. Invited him in, they sat down, didn't do anything about it. And Jesus said, Simon, who do you think would love the person more? The person who's been forgiven the big debt or the person who's been forgiven the little debt? And Simon says, well, the person I would suppose has been forgiven the big debt. And Jesus says, Simon, when I came in, you didn't wash my feet. You didn't do anything for me. Yet this lady has not ceased to wash my feet. This lady has not ceased to, to do everything she can for me because the person to whom much has been forgiven, that person loves much. You know, so often I believe we forget how much we've been forgiven. <laughs> I mean, I'm a good person. I grew up, I grew up in a good family and I've done all these different things and I've never robbed a bank. I have never done this, I've never done this, I've never done this, I'm a pretty good person. Now that person, I can understand. And the reason why we have a hard time forgiving and the reason why we have a hard time loving is because we have forgotten how much we've been forgiven. So he goes on and he says, and walk in love. And then he's going to give this pattern. As Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. What did Jesus Christ do for us? Jesus Christ sacrificed himself so that he, we might have what we could not have had. We could not have had Christ as Christ also loved us, hath given himself in our behalf as the offering, as the sweet-smelling savor for God. God looked at what Jesus Christ did in our behalf. Christ's love for us, the lovely for the unlovely, and God looked at that and was well pleased. If you think about it from the Levitical, the Old Testament standpoint, it was a sweet-smelling offering, a sweet-smelling sacrifice. He said, I want you to love the way Jesus Christ has illustrated for us to love, and when you do that, God is well pleased. Do you know when we do things for other people and we demonstrate love for them, they don't deserve it. They've mistreated us. They've done things they should not have done to us. They, they should be punished for that. And when we love them, it's a sweet-smelling sacrifice to God. 
you see, it totally takes it out of the realm of, does that person deserve it? Because now I get to just please my Heavenly Father. And when I do kind things, when I do loving things, God looks at that and God says, I'm so pleased with you. Oh, that smells so good. You know, we learn art and beauty by seeing beautiful things. You know, it, we try to take our children to listen, to hear things. We want them to go hear a really good performer. We want them to go see something really good. Why? Because we want them to be able to recognize this is really good. And when you know this is really good, what do you know about this? No. That, that's, that's not what I'm interested in. We, we give our children a taste for good things so that they can have discernment and say, not good, good, not good. That's good. And that's what we want. What does Jesus do for us? When we see Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy of pleasing the Father, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and now is set down at the right hand of the throne of the Father. What do we know? Oh, that's how you do it. People are going to mistreat us, and if the way people treat us is going to determine how we're going to act, we're trapped. He's telling us there's a better way. Love can be liberating. You say, I can't do that. Listen to this verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. But we all, with open face, now it's been talking about Moses having a veil over his face to where we couldn't see, they couldn't see that the glory was leaving Moses. He put it on to where people couldn't see that he wasn't reflecting the Lord the way he should have been. He says, but we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. How do we change? By looking in and him not being veiled, us seeing Jesus like he's in a mirror. And we're being changed even as by the Spirit of the Lord. You know, it's the Holy Spirit that's going to change us. It just keep, keeps getting better. You, you notice, I'm not dumping burdens on you and saying, you got to get out of here and you got to live a certain way. What I'm saying is, spend time looking at your Father and you're going to change. Spend time seeing how Jesus acted and you're going to change. Spend time as you're doing that, the Holy Spirit is changing us. It is such a blessing. It's not a burden. He loved us and gave himself for us. God loves. Loves for the sake of giving, not getting. So often, sadly, we as preachers will often tell you, you need to do this. You need to do this. If you don't do this, God's not going to like you. God's not going to be pleased with you. But the reality is, God loved us and sent his son. 
when I didn't love him and I didn't do good. That's the incredible love of our God. God loves for the sake of giving, not getting. Let's just think for just a moment. How does that impact my marriage? From, from the time people are planning their weddings and through the wedding, and the idea is through the rest of their lives, we have been told it's all about me. This wedding is all about me. It's my fairy book. It's my fairy tale. I'm going to, yeah, I'm the number one person of the day. And usually when you're dealing with weddings, I'll tell you as a pastor, if I don't talk with people ahead of time, and if they don't have a right mindset, it is awful. You know, on TV when they talk about Bridezilla, they got that term on purpose, but they got what they, they got what they modeled. We have so told everybody, it's your day. You can do anything you want, and anybody that tells you differently, you just need to tell them, get in line, buddy. This is my day. The reality is, that's not love. That's selfish. I'm going to do, I'm going to wear, I'm going to whatever, because it's my day. Now that carries right into marriages. And you know what? Was I enamored with Cindy? Was she beautiful? Absolutely. Am I still enamored with just, I think she's drop-dead gorgeous? Yes, to me she is. And I would expect you with your wife to be that way, and I don't expect you to think my wife is. All right? I'm okay with just me thinking that. But the reality is, Real love is not just that I am so focused on her beauty. Real love is me giving when she doesn't feel good and when she's worn out or maybe when she has a bad hair day or maybe when the makeup doesn't go on just right. Because you see, love is not about what she gives me. True love is what I can give her. Can you imagine how that would change marriages in Fargo? If we were focused on, yeah, yeah, my wife was a little cross today. That, I love her. How can I help her today? She had a bad day. Some stuff was going on in her life. Okay. Kind, tenderhearted, forgiving. If I would be those things with my wife in the way that God has been to me, I would be the perfect husband, wouldn't I? People would be getting in line for husbands like that. If people knew that people coming out of Lighthouse Baptist Church, if all the guys were that way, you know what? This place would be packed with ladies just waiting for the next one to be available. And vice versa. 
you know, romantic love ebbs and flows. Probably good for you guys to recognize that. Zach, you just need to know this. Luke, you need to know this. Romantic love is going to come and go. Probably the better term is ebb and flow, okay? Let, let's use that term. It ebbs and flows, and at times it can appear to dry up. That's usually when the world says, time for a divorce. We can't get along. But that's not what it means. Isn't it interesting? We're going to find at the end of this chapter, he's going to say, husbands, love your wife in the way that Christ loves the church. Wouldn't that make you ladies feel really comfortable at that point? Because Christ loved the church regardless. And Christ gives. And the interesting thing, men, when we do that, it makes it to where our wife feels so secure because she doesn't have to prove anything. Then she willingly, she, she loves you. And you know why this works so well? Because this is God's model. This is the way he intends for it to work. God loves us when we deny him, when we fail him, when we fail to return his love, when we forget him, and when we grieve his Holy Spirit. God still loves us. You say, I, I can't fathom that. Because that's not the way the world works. You see, I've, I've paused and just looked at verses 1 and 2 because this is so counterintuitive to the way we think and the way the world is that we, we then try to drag our model of love into our relationship with God and it doesn't make any sense. And we say, I don't get it. And it's because that's not the way it is. Genuine love is this, not that we love God, but that he loved us. You know, it's loving when we are misused. I didn't really even believe this was the way the order went in the text, and I had to go back and look at it again. The night before Jesus died, Jesus had said, with great desire, I have desired to spend this time with you. You remember that? It's in Luke 22. And they get there, and Jesus has already arranged for everything. Remember, he told the two disciples, he said, you go, you're going to find a guy carrying a water pitcher of water. You go, the room is already prepared, everything's ready for you. All I need for you to do is, is get the lamb ready. So everything was prepared, and they're sitting there at the table. And the guys start arguing, who's going to have the better position in the kingdom? And Jesus, that's in Luke chapter 22. You've got to read John 13, but when you read John 13, you realize Jesus, while they're arguing, gets up, lays aside his robe, ties a towel on himself, and begins washing the guy's feet. If there was ever a time that someone blew your Christmas, that was it, wasn't it? I cannot believe you guys are arguing over Christmas! I can't believe you guys are arguing over it. This is a family get-together for crying out loud. Can't you guys just get along today? And here are the disciples arguing the night before Christ is going to be crucified. 
And Jesus gets up, and what does he do to demonstrate his love? Begins washing their feet. He serves. And then he says this in John. In John 13, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that ye love one another as I have loved you. How did he love them? By giving. By this shall all men know that you are my family, that you are my disciples, if you love one another. If you have love for each other. Willful love regardless of the emotions. Husbands, love your wife. Jesus giving himself up as an offering, a sacrifice to God, was pleasing to God. So he says, be ye therefore followers of God. You say, I, I don't know how to let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from me. I don't know how to become forgiving in my home when I've got all of this anger, all of this wrath. You know, either, either the clam up or the blow up kind. That, that's the kind of temper that most people deal with. You say, well, I don't, I don't blow up. I, I used to have a soccer coach that had on his hat. He said, I don't get mad, I just get even. Whoa. <laughs> he made me very nervous. We sometimes do that in our families. Bitterness. Because of how someone has treated us, it changes the way we look at them. He says, be followers of God as dear children and walk in love. Now we're going to pause there because beginning at verse 3, he's going to give you the opposite of what love is. So often, I didn't connect the real love. I looked at this other list as a list of do's. Don't do fornication. Don't do uncleanness. Don't do covetousness. It shouldn't be named among you. And it's being named among you. So shamey, 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 shamey on every one of you here today. And you need to know this, that no whoremonger, an unclean person, and covetous person who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of God. Are you even saved? That's usually the way this is presented. Ah, look what he's doing. He's presenting walk in love. Now, do you want to know what love doesn't look like? That's what we're going to look at next week as we study that. But you need to understand something. If God says this is the way to walk, what do we know? This is the good way. This isn't a burden. This is a blessing. We can either be bitter 
or we can go after the best, which is true love. To be loving like our father and not like our former master. Satan says he loves you. Oh, how does he love us? We'll talk about that next week. No longer being fooled by the lies of Satan to be liberated by truly loving. Liberating love releases us from Satan's grip of bitterness, from the explosive and slow-burned tempers. It liberates us from the shouting and the fighting and the attitudes of getting even. And love demonstrates itself by forgiveness, by expressing real compassion. It's easy to begin thinking and acting like the world. And we allow it in our marriages, our homes, our relationships, and we live defeated lives because we've gone back and we've walked back in the same old jail cell that we used to always been in, closed the door, and we're free to leave anytime we would like. The keys are hanging on the wall. Genuine love, genuine living comes with liberating loving. So today, just like the Apostle Paul did to the Ephesians, I'm wanting to remind you, walk in love. I don't know what you're confronted with right now, but walk in love. And begin using the love that the Holy Spirit has spread in your heart. I, I forgot to even mention this earlier, but there's an interesting verse in Peter where Peter says love covers a multitude of sins. How can that be? Because love forgives. You're not overlooking it. You're forgiving it. You know, that's what God wants for us today. He wants us to be liberated. But it comes with a change in how we love. Are you willing to allow your love to be stretched to the limit and forgive? It's the way we reach each other in our church. And it's the way others know what we are really like when we love. Why? Because that's what our Father is like. When you have the right image of your Father, you're free to act like Him. Sadly, we sometimes act like we have a very mean Heavenly Father. Therefore, we should act like our Father. Why should we love? That's what he's like. And that's what he used to draw us to him.